14. Uh, we could uh, easily put uh, verses 10 through 29 all together, uh, but we're going to split them up over a couple of weeks and look in that direction. Uh, when you find yourself there in Galatians chapter 3, uh, if you're able and willing, would you stand for the reading of God's Word? Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. And Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. That's the section we're going to read, and uh, we'll ask the Lord to bless the reading of the Word, and you can be seated. Father, thank you for the truth. Bless it as we study tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, we looked at uh, the first nine verses of chapter 3, and we spoke uh, concerning those who were bewitched or deceived uh, this week, we're going to look a little bit at those who uh, would be cursed. Uh, and then next week, Lord willing, we'll con conclude chapter 3, considering those who would be the heirs. We, um, something occurred to me earlier this week. I'm sure it's probably occurred to each of you over the last several weeks, and so I want to speak to the obvious. We're looking at a letter, an epistle, a, um, a correspondence. And this letter, when it was written, was uh, written to a group of people. It was intended to be read in one sitting and comprehended and acted upon because of that one sitting. And so if we're not uh, careful, we come along these 2,000 years later and we spread the reading out over 14, 15 weeks and... Uh, to however long it takes us to preach it or teach it. And if we're not cautious, we could lose sight of the, the fact that it was intended to be read and acted upon, and we could lose sight of the original intent of the letter. So, so we have that on one side. That's a fact. And then on the other side, we have the fact that we could come to this thing and, and blow through it in a, in a service or two, uh, and we could just just run right through it and um, as if we were the friend receiving it. But if we do that, we're going to lose sight of a lot of the depth of the doctrines and the principles that are in it. So what we do is we restate the intent, the original intent as often as possible, and then we slow down and consider the depth as much as possible. That's the goal. That's what we're trying to do. What is the original intent of this letter? We've stated it several times. This letter is written to the churches in the region of Galatia. 
It was written to refute the erroneous teachings of the Judaizers who had followed Paul and convoluted his pure gospel with uh, legalizing works, uh, Christ plus gospel. So thus far in the letter, the, the, the apostle has established his own authority again, and then he's been very busy establishing, quite simply, the, dust, the, the doctrine of justification by faith, which is offered by the grace of God. And so tonight's passage is still looking at justification by faith, just as last week was looking at it, and next week we'll look at it, but we're looking at it through the lens of the limitations of the law and what part the law plays in the justification of the righteous. And so that is kind of just a, a new introduction. I want you to look first at uh, those first couple of verses we read there. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that can continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. I would say this to you as, as a heading for that. The law is a curse that demands perfection. The law is a curse that demands perfection. Paul is literally here uh, referencing, if you will, or quoting uh, Deuteronomy 27, verse 26, where it says, Cursed be he that confirmeth not all the words of this law to do them, and the people shall say, Amen. We have this picture here of the curse that demands perfection. There's a, this idea when we go to considering uh, the law, or more appropriately in this passage, the works of the law, that we're sometimes uh, uh, almost hypercritical as if it has no place within our Christianity. We would, we would almost do away with, if you're not careful, the, the idea of the law or the works of the law or obedience to the law, and we, we could not be right in assuming that it has no place in our Christianity. That's just not true. The, the law has a place within our Christianity and within the life of the believer. It's just that the law is not the pathway unto salvation. That's the differentiation. That's the, the difference that we want to draw. It's not that, that we do away with or we have no respect unto or, or no remembrance of or or we don't consider the law or, or consider it valid, it is that the keeping of the law will not lead to justification. That is not the path of salvation. The, the law is purposeful in our life. It's just not the path of justification or salvation. So what is it? Well, the law is a guide. It's a mark. It is, it's a mark that we can't hit, and it gives us an indication of our sinfulness or our needfulness of a Savior. It is, uh, Paul would describe it in verse 24 of chapter 3, which we'll look at next week. He would describe it as a schoolmaster. That one that leads you to the truth. That one that leads you to knowledge. Uh, you could even consider it a, a, a posted sign uh, where uh, you could, you know, if you want to get really mundane with it, uh, you ever gotten a speeding ticket in a speed trap town? What is every speed trap town missing? Speed limit signs. 
That's what they're missing. They're generally close to one that is 70, and then there will be one sporadically that's 55 and then 45, and then when you get pulled over, it's a 35 or a 25, and there's no sign, right? That's a, so we call that a speed trap. Well, if the sign would have been there, we would have no excuse. You couldn't call it a speed trap then. You could question the idea of putting signs that close, but the sign is the guide. The sign is the mark. The sign is the warning. The sign shows you an indication of what is wrong in that case. That's what the law is for the Christian. Paul states in Romans chapter 7 that if it had not been for the law, he would not have known sin. He, he basically saying because of the law, he came to understand his shortcomings in the eyes of God, which prior to that, he didn't think he had any, I'm sure. And in that passage is Romans chapter 7, 7 through 12, uh, if you want to write that in your notes, but I'm going to read that real quick. Paul would say, what then shall we say that the law is sin? And he said, by no means. Yet, by the way, I'm, this is ESV that I'm reading here. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said you should not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I once was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. That's the place of the law in the life of the believer. It is a, it's a mark for us. It's, it's a, it is a, a sign. It is, it is a guide. It is direction. And so we understand that we cannot discount or disregard the law. However, in a healthy understanding, we must also understand that we can't keep the law. Uh, we're incapable of keeping the law. The Lord Jesus would state that if you've broken one, you're guilty of all. And so uh, you would just begin to go down that, that short list of the law and recognize very quickly, man, I'm in trouble. Uh, this, this one place, you remember when, the, when the, the lawyer asked the Lord Jesus what was the greatest and he reduced it to two? That had not been done before. And, and what he was showing was that all of the laws are interdependent upon one another. And he's showing that the, 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 what he would say is that you, the commandment, number one, is love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. Number two is likened to the first, love your neighbor as yourself. And what he's doing there literally is dividing the Ten Commandments into two sections. The first four pointing Godward and the last six pointing manward, showing that that they will help us in all walks of life, but also showing that we're incapable of either one and understanding that if we break one towards the neighbor, it shows that we don't have a proper relationship with God, so we broke one of the first four as well. They're, they're just, it's, a, it's a complete interdependence upon one another. And so if, we, if we're incapable of loving our neighbor, then we are simultaneously guilty of a failure to love God rightly. And it's, it's a complete... Conviction, break one, you've broken them all. 
Well, someone might say, well, that doesn't explain the, the, why the law is a curse. Well, consider again the, the words of the apostle in Romans chapter 7 when he said, apart from the law, sin lies dead. Until the giving of the law, uh, if you go all the way back to when Israel was uh, brought out of Egypt, in that moment, they were under the grace of God. Until the giving of the law, they were living under the grace of God. They, they literally would ask for the law. Just tell us what we should do. Tell us, and we'll do everything you say. Just tell us, and we'll do it all, taking upon themselves all of that responsibility. And then the law would be given, and that law came with a curse because once the law was given, now they're responsible for the keeping of the law, making it a curse because in the eyes of the law, no one is ever found righteous. It's a curse. Now, look at verse 11. But that... No man is justified by the law in the sight of God. I want you to see that phrase. It's, there's a sentence there. We'll look at the rest of it in a moment. But in that phrase, what we understand is that the law is a condemnation that no man can please. There, there's not any man ever uh, outside of the Lord Jesus Christ that could please the law. There, there, is, there is the fact, there is the truth that a man could possibly be justified in the eyes of God if he were capable of keeping the law in perfection. That is offered. God says, you're a do-it-yourself a, a do kind of guy? Okay, here it is. Just do this. And what we understand, though, is that no one can please the law. Listen to this. No one can keep all of the law, and no one can keep one law perfectly. Even if the Lord said, okay, you just pick one and keep that one. We're not capable of keeping that law in perfection. We are incapable. And so, again, I would ask you to think about the Lord's uh, own words uh, there around Matthew 5 where he was teaching and he stated the problem of desires as being equal unto the problem of deeds. So he related the, the, the sinfulness of the heart and the desires of it. Not the first time that it had been stated, but the first time it had been stated in that power. That, that he, would, he would make it uh, understood that even, even uh, if you could keep yourself from the actual deeds, that the desires would get you in the end. Even, even if you uh, weren't known for the desires, the desires would be a precursor to the deed. They would lead to the deed. And so he would specifically say, this one we always hear, uh, if you even look on a woman in lust, you've committed adultery. And prior to that, you know, the, the bar for adultery was pretty, pretty low. Uh, but he would say, here, look, you even in a lustful way, you're, you're sitting in your heart already. And, and that is a failure to keep the law. That means since we're incapable of keeping the law and thereby of pleasing God, 
then likely what we'll do is abrogate certain features of the law, seeking to modify it, to fit it into our situation and circumstance, or if you prefer, into our social or cultural mode, so that we can feel like we're keeping the law, even though we're not keeping the law. And we'll modify it that way, and then in so doing, in, in modifying the law, then no, it's no longer the law. It's just another dead religion that we're uh, of men's rules that we're uh, seeking to live up to. And in the keeping of that law, that is not the law at all, it turns into a self-aggrandizement rather than a righteous standing before the Lord so that we would understand that person becomes self-righteous and puffed up rather than in a right standing with the Lord. So Paul would say in verse 11, uh, it's, it's evident then. It's evident that you can't keep the law, that it's evident that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God because the Scripture says the just shall live by faith. And of course, uh, we're looking at Habakkuk chapter 2 there, verse 4. If you go back and consider Habakkuk a little bit, you'll understand what he was writing to, but this is what Paul is saying. It's a waste of time and energy to pursue the law. The law is the cause that no one should pursue as a means of justification when it's obviously stated in the Scriptures that the route of justification is to live by faith. And so any pursuit other than the just shall live by faith is, is a lost pursuit. It's a pursuit that's not going to be fruitful. Paul says it's already predetermined that the just should live by his faith. And, and, and of course, again, he's quoting Habakkuk. And if you go and look at Habakkuk, Habakkuk is writing about the vanity of self-righteousness. And he says very clearly uh, in, in verse 4, Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. It's, 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 it's showing that picture. Paul would consider that statement, the just shall live by his faith. It's interesting, uh, uh, and I'm confident that you've seen this before, that phrase is used three times in the New Testament. It's used in the book of Romans, chapter 1. It's used here in the book of Galatians in chapter 3. And it's used again in the book of Hebrews. Um, and what, uh, would, what you would see here, or the, the concept I should say, and what you would see here is that the Apostle Paul is dealing with that phrase in three different exposits. Uh, there in Romans, he's describing who the just are. In Galatians, he's talking about uh, how they should live. And then the Hebrews, he teaches about by faith. There's a, there's a picture there that carries us to a right path. So simply put, Paul is stating, you don't pursue the law as a means of justification. Rather, reckon yourself, reckon that you are just based upon your faith in Christ and then live by that faith. It's the just shall live by faith. Some might argue, well, I'm going to keep the law by faith. And Paul would answer that, that argument here. He would, he, would, he would describe in verse 12 a situation wherein the law has a cost that nobody can pay. 
No one person can pay that cost. Look at what he says in verse 12. The law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Again, very closely related to Leviticus chapter 18, 5. Listen to that Old Testament statement. Ye shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man do, he shall live in them. I am the Lord. The Apostle Paul is making a very clear uh, picture here that uh, the law cannot be kept by faith. It's either kept or it's not kept. It's, it's either, uh, it either actually is or it actually isn't. It's a duty, it's a deed, it's an action, it's a thing that must actually be done. It is not of faith. And Paul would go on to explain that the man who would do the law must live by the law. That is, literally and actually keep the law in all aspect, aspects, in all seasons and in all points, it's not enough to believe the law is right. It's not enough to, uh, uh, to, to consider the law. It's not enough to have confidence in the law. You have to live by the law. You have to keep the law. And what is the problem? Why can we not keep the law? Well, it's, it's quite simple. Uh, we can't keep the law because uh, the sin nature and the flesh constantly war against the law. You're born an enemy of the law. You're born a combatant of the law. And you say, well, not me. I wasn't born that way. I was born differently. Well, guess what? Uh, not only is the sin and the flesh constantly at war... Uh, with the law, but the world system is designed against the law. This cosmos that we live in is designed against the law. Everything about it is against the law. And then if that were not enough, Satan, who is the God of this world, he is also the enemy of the law. And so uh, your flesh, the sin nature, the system that you're born into, and the God over that system are all enemies of the law. So it's no surprise that you can't keep the law. I mean, it's, in fact, we figure it out quite early, don't we? <laughs> I knew very early that mm, I'm in trouble. I can't do those things. And so all of those falls, foes excuse me, are brought to bear against the person who intends to keep the law they're brought daily without ceasing. It is a constant bombardment until very quickly that person falls prey to an inability to keep the law. And so we have this picture that the law is a curse, that the law is a lost cause, and that the law has a cost that we can't afford. And so we come to this place of what do we do concerning the law what are we to do and then in verse 13 Paul describes this idea that the law was fulfilled by and then carried out on Christ in penalty and so in verse 12 Christ hath redeemed us verse 13 excuse me Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us for it is written cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree and what we understand from the scriptures is that Christ fulfilled all of the law 
Every, every portion of the law was fulfilled in Christ's life. He, he was tempted in all points, like as you are and I are yet without sin. But then he was tried as if he were a criminal of the law. And he was convicted as if he had failed in the law. And he was crucified as if he had failed in the law. And so what you have a picture of is that Christ not only fulfilled the law in his life, but he fulfilled the penalty of the law in his death, providing for you and I a way. It would say in Isaiah 53 that he was wounded for our transgressions, that he was bruised for our iniquities, that the chastisement of our peace was upon him, but then with his stripes we are healed. There's, there's an exchange pictured there. Paul would say in, in this very book, in 2.14, we read just a couple of weeks ago, how that he blotted out the handwriting of the ordinance that was against us, which was contrary to us, taking it out of the way and nailing it to the cross. So we recognize that he fulfilled the law, that he was tempted like us, yet without sin, that he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of Christ, that he fulfilled every aspect of the law, then suffered and bled at the hands of the law as if he was guilty of the law, so that he fulfilled not only the keeping of the law, but the penalty of the law as well. And when we place our faith in his finished work, we are reckoned as crucified with him. We've suffered the penalty of the law. It's happened. It's done and over. And then we are imputed his righteous standing before God. So it's not by the law. But the law has a place. Crucified with him, yet I live. And then in verse 14 there at the end, he says, by that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And we see that the, that law has now become a blessing for the Christian in the person of Christ. That, that we again see the fulfillment of that Abrahamic covenant from Genesis 12 in the spiritual seed of Abraham. Jesus, the seed, the blessing, the promise, and his blessing is through, uh, through Christ all, uh, unto all families of the earth, but the blessing is received how? By faith, not by the works of the law. Amen? Let's pray. Father, once again, we thank you for this time together. Pray you'd Bless uh, as we move into our time of prayer, and Lord, we ask that you would consider us. In Jesus' name, amen.